You're hearing the Paul W. Smith Show, News Talk 760, WJR. Dr. Benjamin Hampstead, a clinical neuropsychologist, researcher, one of the leaders at the University of Michigan Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, uh, also working with veterans at the VA Ann Arbor Healthcare System, leading a, a research program on cognition and neuromodulation-based interventions. Dr. Benjamin Hampstead, welcome to the Paul W. Smith Show. Thanks so much, Paul. It's really great to be here. I'm excited well, to great. talk to you about some of these things. And it's great to be knowing we're going to learn from someone like you on some issues that will affect all of our families and all of us eventually, one time or another. Let me point out, by the way, that it was August 26th in 1817, this day in 1817, that our great University of Michigan was founded. So happy birthday to you and to all of the folks who stand by the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. It's the anniversary date of the founding in 1817. Is it just me? Have, have I truly noticed through observation that COVID has definitely had an adverse effect on the elderly and on cognitive decline? What is your thought in that? So, Paul, that's a great question. I think in regards to, to COVID in general, or COVID specifically, I should say, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence emerging in this area. And so I think it's still too early to know whether any changes associated with individuals who have had COVID are directly related to the disease or related to some of the, the other organs that it affects. So if we can't get uh, oxygen uh, into our bodies, that's certainly going to affect the brain. And, and what I will say in, in general, a lot of people that I work with say that they've noticed changes just as a result of aging. And that in the research world, we know that these type of changes can occur. We know that it takes us a little bit longer to process information. So I've noticed it myself, you know, relative to when I was in college and I was able to do three things at once. once and I have a very vivid memory of talking to my girlfriend, now wife, on the phone as I was studying and watching Sports Center. So if I try and do that now, I'm not going to be able to. I need to do one thing at a time. And some of these type of changes are perfectly normal. What isn't normal is if you or a loved one, somebody who knows you well, starts to notice consistent changes. And if those changes start to affect how you're able to in your everyday life, well, that's usually when I would tell people that they should probably talk to their doctor and, and consider getting an evaluation. So that would be, you know, we're all going to get old, hopefully. I mean, it beats the alternative. And, and we want to know the difference uh, between troublesome cognitive decline and just getting older. And I'm wondering you just pointed out what you think maybe we should do if if we if we expect there's a problem when we should talk to a doctor as we age um and and whatever these things might be that you just mentioned that would prompt us to talk to a doctor when i look at some of your information uh, we're speaking with dr benjamin hampstead clinical neuropsychologist researcher one of the leaders at the university of michigan alzheimer's disease research center it seems you focus a lot of your research on non-medication therapies. Tell me a little bit about that. I do. Thanks, Paul. 
Um, you know, I think that the, the non-medication therapies are really exciting to me. First, I'm a neuropsychologist, as you mentioned, and so I don't prescribe medications. I think the, the thing about medications, and so many of your listeners may be aware that there was recently a, a medication that was controversially approved by the FDA that may treat Alzheimer's disease as far as the disease process. But what those medications don't do is basically teach the brain how to re-communicate. They don't teach the brain uh, areas how to function better, right? Because the disease is targeting these specific brain structures and those areas of the brain change how they communicate as a result of that disease. So even if we were to stop the disease, it's essentially like cutting off a highway. And unless you rebuild a high, that, that bridge on the highway, you're not going to be able to get from point A to point B as efficiently. So I think that the non-pharmacologic or the non-medication that we focus on are really designed to do that. They're designed to help re-engage these brain areas or find alternative paths that, that can still help the brain communicate and be a, a kind of complement to medications when they become available. You know, uh, Dr., at one point, we were talking about brain exercises, brain brain workouts, brain training, call it what you will. And, and for example, there, there were people that would do crossword puzzles, uh, and they felt that was good brain exercise. As I, I reflect, I was lucky to have grandparents that lived, well, my grandpa lived to be 100, my grandmother 98, uh, and they did do crossword puzzles, and I'm just wondering if that was way before the research, that that was a good brain exercise. Are there other brain exercises? Paul, I love that question. I, I think that that observation is great. And, and first, you have tremendous genetics, so so kudos to you. Um, you know, I think that the, the crossword exercises, the, what the evidence shows us is that people who remain more active in their daily lives, that challenge themselves, and, and if you enjoy doing crossword puzzles, keep doing them. The literature uh, using crossword puzzles or those type of, of stimulation activities as interventions is less convincing. What is more convincing are a couple of different things I'll talk about very, very quickly here. The first, many of your listeners may have heard of these cognitive training or brain training computer programs. There is evidence that some of these programs can be beneficial for some individuals. The other that I really like are, are what I term mnemonic strategies or memory tricks that basically teach people ways of, of better structuring the information and paying more attention to the information they're trying to learn. And in that way, they can, again, kind of re-engage these different brain areas that I've, I've told you about. And some of our neuroimaging, our brain imaging data, really suggests that we are re-engaging some of these areas that show age and disease-related changes. So I, I really like those particular techniques. Where can we get – we're, we're going to run out of time, sadly, and uh, okay. I could talk to you all morning long. Where, where can we get your information and some of the work that you're doing online? Yeah, so if, if folks do a, a quick Google search, I have a website, hamstadlab.med.umich.edu, um, or you can just type in my name, um, and research program, and it'll send you over to our webpage. And I'd love to, to uh, talk to you or your listeners uh, in, in more detail at some point. 
Dr. Benjamin Hampstead, H-A-M-P-S-T-E-A-D, clinical neuropsychologist, researcher, one of the leaders at the University of Michigan Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Quick note, uh, the family is looking forward to, again, the the walk to end Alzheimer's in Detroit. They're going to be in person again at the Detroit Zoo this year, October 30th. People can go to act.alz.org or just Google Alzheimer's Walk Detroit. And we are very supportive of that. Dr. Hampstead, a pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Paul. You take care. And you do the same. As we continue on the Paul W. Smith Show at News Talk 760 WJR, Matthew Schneider, former U.S. attorney, up next.